Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now let's join the service already in progress. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. Uh, As you're turning, look at someone next to you and say, I can't believe I get to sit next to you today. But say it with a smile on your face. I can't believe I get, I get to, I don't got to, I get to. I get to sit next to you today. That's a great feeling. What a privilege that is. I love this church. I love City of Life Church. City of Life Church is the best church in this world. I love you. It's so much fun. It is so much fun to get to do life with this church. You guys are so unique. I am just a white boy from Alabama. I was born in Mississippi. I didn't know hardly anybody. Growing up, churches were not diverse at that time. Uh, I just knew a lot of people that were in my world and my flow. And when God sent my dad here to Kissimmee, St. Cloud, um, it was just a different world. It's a different world back then. And I'm so humbled to look out at the different faces in this crowd every week. It's wonderful. This is a beautiful place, man. I'm so honored to be a part of it. It just blow, it blows me away. And when I say you're good looking, what I actually mean is I'm jealous of you. You look so good that I'm, je- I'm jealous. You guys are so stinking good looking. It's crazy. But it's wonderful. I like the fact that we're just uh, from every walk of life imaginable. But God uses us, doesn't he? And he gives us a, a chance to show and demonstrate community uh, and to be an example for other people all over the world. So I appreciate you guys a lot. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. This is about Palm Sunday. So if you're wondering what Palm Sunday is, till I was about 10, I thought it meant my palm. So I was wrong about that. It's about palm branches. Uh, but this is a story in the Bible about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And if you're wondering why that's a significant part of the story, that's, that's the whole reason that I have chosen to continue our Road to the Cross series that we started last week with Road to the Cross Part 2. This is called The King and the Lamb. And I'm going to explain to you some of the details of why the story of Palm Sunday is important and what it's supposed to mean to you, how you can respond to it, how you can prepare your heart uh, to get ready for what God is going to do next weekend on Easter. It's all based on an Old Testament scripture from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Before I read this, I would put out there to you that this is a prophecy that is well known in Jerusalem. It's well known to all Jews in Jesus' time. They knew this prophecy. Raise your hand if you have ever heard of or seen the movie The Matrix. Okay, come on, raise your hand if you've ever heard of or seen the movie The Matrix. Okay, so The Matrix, in The Matrix, the main character, his name is Neo. And in the story of The Matrix, they borrow a lot, the the writers, the Wachowski brothers, borrow a lot of messianic motifs or archetypes that come from the Bible that are about a Messiah that's coming in the matrix who they call the one. Okay, so Neo in the matrix is called the one. And so everyone that meets Neo along the way knows about the prophecy that is referring to the one. So when they meet him, they go, no, there's no way you're the one. Some people meet him, they go, wow, I really think he could be the one. So 
that prophecy in the matrix that everybody knows the prophecy in the matrix this is the prophecy in the bible that everyone knew what the one would do in the bible everyone knew what the one was going to do he was going to do this zechariah chapter 9 verses 9 through 10 so if you lived in jesus time whether you knew jesus or not you knew this you knew that someday the one, whoever the Messiah is, is going to do this. And here's what it says he will do before Jesus is ever born. This is written about the one, the Messiah. It says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Lord says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. So everyone knows that when the Messiah comes, when the one comes, he is going to come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. I want to talk to you today, Road to the Cross, part two, the King and the Lamb. Father, thank you for your presence here today. Move in this place, move on hearts. Allow me to communicate the message of your word and the truth of this incredible book in a way that just sets people's hearts on fire and engages us with your Holy Spirit so we can be a light to this community. I pray for miracles all over this room, people that need physical miracles, that they're dealing with diseases or sicknesses in their body. You can heal cancer. You can heal uh, any kind of mental disorders. You can heal anything that you need to heal in, a, in an instant when we interact with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you do so today. Let people receive hope that have come in here and given up. Uh, and leave changed. Let me leave changed as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You got Holy Week is phenomenal. Today's Palm Sunday. Uh, the next significant event in the celebration in terms of the Christian calendar is called Maundy Thursday, M-A-U-N-D-Y. That word Maundy comes from the Latin word, which means mandate. And that is at the Last Supper when Jesus told his disciples, uh, love one another as I have loved you. He gave them a mandate, so they call that Maundy Thursday. Then Good Friday, which uh, good for us, it happened to be a, a, the worst day for Jesus. Isn't it amazing that we call it Good Friday? It's good for us. It's a tough day for him. But then Holy Saturday is the day that Jesus was in the grave, and then we celebrate on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. This is a wonderful buildup. But we start today with Palm Sunday. And I want you to leave here today with an understanding of what Palm Sunday actually was, why uh, it's something that we celebrate, and what it's all about. So it all starts with a story of this thing called the triumphal entry. Now, if you're wondering, it, why is this important? Why is the triumphal entry important? Why is, you know, why is the cross important? Why is the resurrection important? I'll tell you this. If you look at the Old Testament, about 50% of the book of John, a little under 50%, uh, is devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. The Gospels as a whole, nearly 50% of all the Gospels are devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years. So this last week is really important. As Christians, for us to celebrate and appreciate what happened in the last week of Jesus' life is important because so much of the Gospels is devoted to telling this story. This part has, happens to do with Jesus coming into town on the Monday... And he's riding this donkey. I just told you about the matrix. I just told you that everyone in Judaism knew what this meant when you rode in on a donkey. This is not accidental that Jesus comes into town on a donkey. There were probably people when they saw Jesus come into town on this donkey that looked at him and said, Oh, no, he did, he did not just come in here on no donkey. They saw him and they thought, they're like, Oh, it's going to go down. Now, you don't just say... 
I'm going to come into town on a donkey uh, in the middle of the gate. You don't just, just roll up with an entourage on a donkey unless you are declaring that you are the one. It's clearly known to everybody the implications of doing that. You just simply do not do it unless you are the real deal. That's what this story is all about. Now, before I tell this story, I want to plant a little seed that I'm going to come back to at the end of the message. The seed is this. I called it the king and the lamb. This is about Jesus revealing himself as the king. But I also want you to recognize that to fully understand the context of this story, you have to understand why all these people were there to begin with to celebrate him and to wave palm branches. This happened during Passover week. Okay, Jesus' death occurred on the Passover day, specifically the day where they slaughtered the lambs. But if you don't know what Passover is week, it's going to be difficult for you to get the, you know, the, the significance of what happened. So I just want to touch on it really quickly. In the book of Exodus, when Israel was captive by Egypt and Pharaoh was keeping them, God sent Moses to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Multiple times, 10 different plagues that God sent to, to Pharaoh and to Egypt to convince him to let the people of God go. Finally, the 10th plague was the worst of all. And what God was going to do is God said, here's what's going to happen. He's not listening. He's not letting Israel go. You're my people. I want you to go and be free. The last one is this. I'm going to kill every single firstborn son in the entire country. No matter what age you are, every firstborn son is going to die unless... You put the blood, <coughs> excuse me, I just coughed in the microphone. <coughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, it says, unless you put the blood of a, of a lamb over the doorpost of the building that you're in, your firstborn son, whoever is in that building that's a firstborn son, is going to die. So Israel had to take an unblemished lamb. This really happened. This is not like a fairy tale. And they just put the blood on the doorpost, on the outside of the door, and what happened is God sent the angel of death and every single firstborn in Egypt died unless you had that blood on your doorpost. That actually happened. After that was over with, Pharaoh couldn't handle it. There was such grief and sorrow in Israel. I mean, everyone that was a firstborn died. So he let them go. So in Jewish culture, this is hundreds of years later when Jesus is born, they celebrate Passover as one of three feasts annually that is such an important part of the Jewish faith that everyone that was a part of the Jewish faith from all over the world had to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Three festivals you had to come and make a pilgrimage back for. Passover is one of them. So everyone is back in town for Passover. And if you're wondering what is Passover week like, it's, it's like a party week. It's like an amazing, it, it's, it's wonderful. People are celebrating Old friends that they haven't seen in a long time are coming back. Every hotel is full. People are letting people stay in their house. Family members, old friends that are Jewish, that are living in a different part of the world. Jerusalem is hustling and bustling. It is alive. It is on fire. It is electric. Rumors are spreading through the streets. People are talking about everything that's been going on. There's a high level of excitement. It's a week-long celebration. Jesus rolls in on the Monday of this celebration. And can I just add this too, for context purposes? Jesus, a couple of days before, I'm going to read you the scripture in a minute, but he has just raised Lazarus from the dead, and all these people have seen it. Okay, so you're saying, well, why is that a big deal? Homie, he raised somebody from the dead publicly. 
Okay, I'm talking about like a guy that is in the city for Passover, his bro, Tom, that lives like, you know, like, like 100 miles away, he's got to come back for Passover. You know, Bill sees Tom. He's like, yo, Tom, how you been? Great, Bill, how you been? Anything, you see anything new happening? Yeah, man, I have seen something new. This cat Jesus that I knew. You remember Lazarus from middle school? That dude died. Yeah, he died like he, he's like, oh, that's terrible. He was hilarious. Yeah, I know he was hilarious. He died. He was dead, though, like for three days. He was in the grave. He was stinking. Oh, he was stinking. You could smell him from outside. My man was stinking. He was so dead. But then Jesus rolls up as his Lazarus come forth. And all of a sudden he comes out. You ain't going to believe his homie. He's alive now. You got to be kidding me. Jesus, raise him from the dead. I got to see this for myself. Oh, look right there, dude. That's him right there. Oh, he's coming in on a, on a, on a donkey. Oh, no, he didn't. He didn't come in town on no donkey, did he? This is, this is a guy you're talking about right here. So this is... I just had like a schizo conversation with myself. I'm just trying to give you a little feel of like what it was. They said that the population of of Jerusalem was about a million, but during Passover week it was two million. That's how many people would come back for this huge celebration. So everyone is there. They've all heard about Jesus. And now Jesus rolls up. On a donkey? You're an, an actual donkey. Okay. Let's, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go with this on the fly. I'm trying to give you some idea of what it must have felt like to be Jewish during this time. Imagine as Americans, imagine some country, I'll just make a fake country so no one accuses me of like being against a particular country. Imagine country X ar- arises and they become some powerful country. What if they were to come to America and they were to overthrow our government? But in the process of overthrowing our our government, they, through military force, occupied every level of our civilization, but they allowed us to continue go on with certain elements of our life. It's just everywhere we went. When we looked outside, we would see guys with guns that were out there. They're part of country X. They're running things. They allow us to keep parts of our culture, but we're not allowed to do this. We're not allowed to do that. They're in control of us. Don't you think as people who grew up in America, we would be pretty patriotic about getting our country back? This is what happened to Israel. Israel was being occupied by Rome. So when you hear about Roman guards and all this stuff, they took their country from them. When there are Roman guards on the street corner, Rome was allowing them to participate. So like if they allowed us to continue to have Christmas here, yeah, you're allowed to have Christmas, but you can't do this, you can't do that. So that's how they felt. So to Jews, Jews were very patriotic. They wanted their own king. They wanted their own country. They were sick of Rome ruling everything. So when people thought about the one, like Neo, when they thought about the Messiah, they were never hoping for a Messiah that was bringing the kingdom of God to your heart, that was bringing heaven to earth by how? Loving your neighbor. Nobody wanted that. You know what they wanted? They were thinking about, I want somebody that's going to shoot country X until all those people are dead and I can have my country back and wave my American flag again. I want my country back. That's what everyone thought in Jewish culture. They wanted liberation of their country. They wanted a tyrannical, maybe not necessarily tyrannical, but they wanted a military strong leader who would inspire everyone with their words and then go to battle and win Israel back. So when they thought about the one, when they saw Jesus riding on the donkey, they thought... 
great. Maybe he's some supernatural leader that's going to come give us our country back. So that's the context. Does that make sense? That's the context of this story. Now I'm going to read you the story, and I have put together every reference of this story in the Gospels, and I've put them in order so that it sounds like a chronological story that makes sense to everyone. It says, that As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her cold, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill Zechariah that I read to you at the beginning. So basically, it's saying this is a whole setup to fulfill that old prophecy about the one with the donkey. Don't you like that too, that Jesus just prophetically tells me, he's like, go give me the donkey, go give me the colt, take it from the dude's house, if the dude comes out and asks you, why are you taking my donkey? Just say the Lord needs it. This is not a good excuse for you to steal something and just use this as an excuse. Like you see like a nice motorcycle sitting there. What are you doing with my bike? The Lord needs it. I would need a much better excuse than that if someone explained it. This has to be a God thing if you say that, right? So it says the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And you know that when he sent them to get a donkey... They knew Zechariah. They must have looked at each other when he sent them along the way. He thought, oh, is he about to do the thing? Is he about to do the one thing? Oh, boy, we're going to get a donkey. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway, and they untied it. Its owners asked them, hey, why are you untying that colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They answered as Jesus had told them, and the people actually let them go. I love this about Jesus. I want to point something out to you real quick as I'm reading this story. I love the fact that Jesus is not passively just a victim of the circumstances of what happened to him. He's causing these things to happen. He's prophesying them. He's pushing these events in motion because he's moving toward his destiny on purpose. I love the fact that Jesus said of his own death, he said, no man takes my life away from me, but I lay it down on my accord. I lay it down and I can take it up again when I want. Nobody killed Jesus. He gave his life willingly on purpose. No one took his life from him. So Jesus is pushing this whole thing forward. And it says, They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. I love, I love this too about the branches. I've heard some theologians say that palm branches for Israel were the equivalent of our American flag. That when people waved palm branches, it was a national sign. That when they began to wave palm branches, so they're thinking, we're about to get our country back. We're about to get our country back when they're worshiping Jesus. So it would be for us if Country X was there and we saw somebody that fulfilled the prophecy that, that was going to liberate us from Country X. People would be getting their American flags out, waving and thinking, yeah, we're going to get our country back. This is exactly what is happening with Jesus right here. The people that are waving palm branches, they're doing it from a nationalistic standpoint. And it says, it says uh, when they came to the place where the road goes down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for everyone, loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. So the disciples are openly just worshiping Jesus here. And they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna. To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This word Hosanna 
is not a Greek word. The New Testament is written in Greek. So when you analyze these words, when you look at the Greek word, it just says Hosanna. And the reason it does that is because it's actually a Hebrew word called Hoshiana. And when you put that together, it means save me. It means save me. So what they were actually crying out is a derivation of save me. It's, it's a different way to use save me. But instead of saying save me, they're saying salvation has come to me. So I'll tell you a quick story. That's uh, actually, by the way, I want to let you know, I just signed my deal this week. And my book, Jesus First, Jesus Always, will be released 4th of July weekend. I'm excited about that. It's been a long process, but I hope you'll be excited about it. Here's a quick story from the book. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I went fishing with my dad in the middle of the night with a bunch of guys. And there was a dock. Uh, about eight feet away from the dock was a boat. And uh, it was nighttime. And my dad was talking with a bunch of guys. And, he, and I, you, know, you know how parents have this way of knowing what kids are thinking before they even do it? It's just like this instinctive thing. And I'm looking at the dock, and my dad was talking to me. He said, yeah, we're glad to be here. Boy, don't you even think about making that jump. I said, Dad, I'm not going to make the jump. He goes, I know you're not. You're going to stay right there next to me till I'm ready. Don't you even think about making that jump. And he turned around and I thought, I'm going to make that jump. <laughs> and, man, I took off running. And, I mean, when I got to the end of the dock, I just I threw my body forward. It was the best jump of my life. It was incredible. I mean, the boat was about eight feet away. Now, we're over at the coast where they make the, you know, you're, you're, the dock is here, but the boat is here. It's really deep, so those huge ships can, can fit there, so the water goes down so deep. So anyways, best jump of my life. The problem was, is I jumped high, but I didn't jump far. So I went straight down into the water. It was freezing cold, and I literally was drowning. I, I, could, not, I, I could not keep my head up. I started panicking and screaming. Help me, save me. I'm screaming. And my dad somehow put his foot around something and reached down and grabbed me out of that water. But when I said save me, that's what Hosanna means. Hosanna means save me. So when these people are saying Hosanna in the highest, what's, what's interesting about their way, the way they're using it, they're using it in a different way. They're not just saying save me. They're saying salvation has come. Isn't Hosanna, can, can you just lift your hands for a second and say Hosanna? Come on, say Hosanna in the highest. To us, that means today, that means salvation has come to me. That's what, that's what they're saying right here, is that Jesus is my salvation. Salvation has come to me. So you've got this weird mix, people waving palm branches, sort of a nationalistic thing. They're not really worshiping Jesus. They just think that he's the one and he's going to give them their country back. you got other people that are recognizing him as the Savior that are saying salvation has come. Wow, what a, what a wild situation. And then in the middle of it, when they heard them worshiping Jesus, the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Because they saw that the disciples were worshiping him. And isn't it amazing how savage Jesus could be at times? I mean, Jesus... Just sometimes he just didn't really care about stuff. And they told him, be quiet. They said, tell your disciples to be quiet. They're praising you. And I like what he did. He's like, nah. He's like, if they be quiet, then you know, these, these rocks will start praising me. I love that about Jesus. Je Jesus was like, look, I ain't playing no games no more. I'm the Messiah. I'm the king. You've been after me for the longest time trying to kill me. You're about to kill me a week from now, but I ain't going to lie about who I am. I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You better deal with it now. Make a choice. You either crown me or you kill me. You got two choices. You're going to crown me or you're going to kill me. 
I love the way Jesus answered questions. Don't you wish you had the wisdom that Jesus had with questions? Jesus was a savage toward the Pharisees. I'll tell you something that's not in my notes, but it's just a story I just absolutely love. I love this one time when the Pharisees came up to Jesus. They're like, they're like, by whose authority do you do the things that you do? And they were trying to trap him in something. He goes, okay, I'll tell you by whose authority I do it through. But first, you answer a question for me. John's baptism, was it of heaven, yes or no? And, and they're like, hold on for a second. And they get in a little group, they're like... Like, Johnny, you got anything on this? No, you, you don't got nothing either? Okay. This is a problem because if we say that John's baptism was from heaven, then he's going to say to us, then why didn't you listen to it? But if we say it's not from heaven, all the people that love John the Baptist are going to want to kill us. Gosh, I hate Jesus. He's such an, so an, such an annoyance. We don't know. And then Jesus goes, oh, okay then I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from. All right, peace. I'll see y'all later, okay? Isn't Jesus a boss? Jesus a boss. I wish I had his question-answering techniques now, but he does it right here. They're worshiping Jesus clearly in front of everyone. He says, they say, tell your disciples to be quiet. They're worshiping you. He's like, nah. I mean, he's just wide open right here, rolling into town on a donkey. You don't do that accidentally. You don't do it coincidentally. If you're a Jew and you do this, you mean you're the king. You're saying you're the one. So he's out in the open. And the Bible says that his disciples didn't understand these things when they were happening. But after he had been glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him before. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So what I'm trying to tell you today is that Jesus, on Palm Sunday, drew the line in the sand... He said, you're not allowed to just say, I'm a good teacher anymore. I love, I love what C.S. Lewis said about Jesus. He said, you're not allowed to just say, Jesus is a good teacher. He said, he's either one of three things. He's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. You're not allowed to say he's a good teacher. Because he couldn't be a good teacher if he was saying that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But he's not. That makes him a liar if he's not. Or if he really believed it and said that, then he's a lunatic. But if he's neither of those things and he really is what he says he is, then he's actually the Lord. And we need to get on our face and we need to worship him. That's what Jesus is doing. He's drawing the line in the sand. He's saying, hey, you can call me a liar or a lunatic if you want. But the only options is crown me. Worship me or kill me. You got two options. He's given us that. I wonder how many people in this room don't realize today that Jesus has drawn that line in the sand for you. You have to make a choice. You say, well, I choose not to choose. That's choosing. Not choosing is choosing. See, or you say, well, I mean, I kind of like things about him. I like some of his teachings, but some of his teachings are very harsh, and I'm not really down with that. That's choosing. See, but maybe you're the person like many people, like me. There's many things that Jesus teaches that are very difficult for me. I cannot say that everything that he teaches that I understand about forgiveness and loving your enemies and all these different things, it doesn't matter. You, what you do is you look at it and you go, I love Jesus. I love who he is. Some of the stuff that he teaches is hard, but I love him and I trust him. I give my life to him. I worship him. Jesus says, that means you crowned me then. You just crowned me. 
If you love me and you listen to me, whether you like it or not, you've just chosen to crown me. So the Palm Sunday is about Jesus drawing the line. He's not speaking in parables on Palm Sunday. It's not an analogy. He's rolling down the middle of the street saying, this is me. I am the Messiah. I am the one that came to save the world. You got to either trust me or you have to reject me. But you're not allowed to have some passive middle thing where you got a little bit of both. You got to make a choice. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. Jesus revealing himself as the Messiah. Wow. See, I talked to you at the beginning about Passover because I wanted you to understand the context, but I wanted to bring something around. See, I'm talking about Jesus right now as the king, but my message is called the king and the lamb. See, Passover was about sinful people, but people that God loved being able to find God's grace by not having to suffer themselves, but God let the blood of a sacrifice cover their sins. So by putting the blood of a spotless, it had to be a perfect spotless lamb on their doorpost. They were able to be saved because of the sacrifice of that lamb. Did you know that when Jesus came on the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, when he came down the streets, did you know he came in on a Monday of Passover week? Do you know what happens on Monday of Passover week? The priest selects the lamb that everyone that's participating in Passover will have sacrificed for their lives on Friday. Jesus is being selected on Monday publicly. Hold on, hold on, as the king. He's being selected as the king and the lamb the king and the lamb at the same time. Naturally, as the king, he's saying, hey, this is me on the outside. But supernaturally, as the lamb, did you know that on Friday at 3 p.m. when Jesus died, the moment Jesus died and he gave up his spirit, the Bible says the, 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 the shofar blew, that was the moment where Passover, the sacrifices of Passover began at the very moment he died. At that very, naturally, it happened right when he died. Supernaturally, the moment when he died is the moment that the one-time sacrifice of the lamb that was spotless, the lamb that was Jesus, took away all of our sins forever and ever. Never again will we have to sacrifice animals to cover up our sin. As a matter of fact, at that moment, the Bible tells us that the veil of the temple the temple was all about the sacrificial system of animals covering up our sacrifices. And there was a veil that separated the presence of God from the common men. Only the priests could go into where the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. It was a multi-story, a massive, a three-foot cloth that was impossible to be ripped. The Bible said it ripped from the top. It ripped from the moment Jesus died, the veil ripped from the top to the bottom. In essence, what it was saying is that sacrifice of the Lamb of Jesus has forever done away with a separation between the presence of God and men. Now we have complete access to the presence of God because of the sacrifice of the Lamb, which is Jesus. Wow. Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. The King and the Lamb. I think it is so fascinating that in the story in Exodus, 
that you had to use the lamb's blood to cover your doorpost and Jesus was the lamb, but that the punishment, if you didn't cover it up, is that you lost your firstborn son. Isn't it amazing that Jesus was the lamb? But he was also the firstborn son that God chose to lose his own son so that we could keep our future inheritance. He chose to lose his own son and suffer through the pain so we don't have to suffer through the pain. Jesus was both. He's the king and the lamb. The king is the lamb. Come on, stay on your feet for a second. says of Jesus in 1 Corinthians, the Messiah, our Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed for the Passover meal. He calls Jesus our Passover lamb. 1 Peter 1 says, for you know that it was not with perishable things like gold and silver that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He's calling Jesus the lamb, the Passover lamb. When John the Baptist saw Jesus in public, he didn't say, look, they go my cousin. No, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the King, but the King is also a Lamb. See, the problem was everybody in Israel wanted a Lion King, but they got a Lamb King. They wanted somebody that would overthrow everything from the outside in. But Jesus said, no, I came to overthrow everything from the inside out. And wait till you see what my kingdom looks like. See, he's not the king that anybody wanted. But he's the one we needed. We want everything from the outside in, don't we? If we're honest with ourselves, isn't that true? Don't we really want everything outside in first? Don't we want the wife, the husband, the house, the money, the, the security, the, the notoriety, the affirmation? We want all that stuff from the inside out. But Jesus, and that's, the, that's what everyone wanted. They wanted their country. They wanted the material things from the outside in. But Jesus comes in and says, hey, let me love you on the inside first. Let me love you and let you know that it's okay. You're going to be okay if you have me. And then you'll work your way toward peace and security and happiness from the inside out. You'll never lack anything. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But it starts on the inside. Seeking the kingdom on the inside. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. I hope that means something to you today. I hope that you recognize him as the king, and a lot of people do, but I hope also today that you get a revelation of who he is as the lamb that was, and you know, it's Friday. My invitation is to you that on Friday, when we come in this place, that we value the lamb in a way that we never had before. We see what he took to the cross for us, and we value it like we never had before. And then on Sunday, <laughs> that we celebrate his resurrection like never before. I pray that Sunday is unlike anything we've ever been a part of come in here with full hearts joyful ready to just shout and praise and ready to bring everybody you know too this is a time to proclaim god's goodness a ton of other religious leaders that have come up with a lot of fake stuff over the years and it ironic none of them are resurrected 
It's funny that our, ours is resurrected because he's the only one that had the power to be resurrected. He did it under his own power. That's why Easter's special. He did it. He did it. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.